coming up on Garden Talk. Take an avocado, superfood, super nutrient-rich to begin with, and you mix in some stuff like, say, malted barley flour, because the worms, they really like the malted barley flour, and then put it top down onto the soil. And what's going to happen is the worms in your soil are going to come up and they're going to just start feeding on this stuff. I mean, you want to think about it like a fish tank, where if you have a very small fish tank, any changes in that system are going to greatly affect how things work. So the bigger the system that you have, the easier it is to sustain it. And maintain it and big changes may have less of an effect overall. Blends tend to use a lot of things like bone meal, blood meal and you have to think about where did those come from organically. What's up everybody if you that don't know me my name is Chris aka Mr. Grow It and this is Garden Talk episode 4. This episode's guest is Matt from Photosyntech. He is an organic gardener that grows plants both indoors and outdoors. He also has a YouTube channel that has nearly 5,000 subscribers. On his channel, he shows off his plants and provides a ton of useful tips and tricks. In this episode, we talk about organic gardening. More specifically, we talk about pot size, what's in his mix, cover crops, mulch layers, avocado tech, and a whole lot more. Without further ado, let's just get right into it. All right, we are here. Welcome, Matt Photosyntac. How you doing? Not too bad, Chris. Said yourself. Good, good. Thanks for coming on to my channel and talking today. Appreciate it. Appreciate you having me on here. Uh, definitely uh, like the opportunity to, to to stop by and visit. For sure. All right, let's just get right into it. Um, so why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself and how you got into growing? Yeah, for sure. Uh, so I'm up in Canada. Uh, Canadian ACMPR grower is what I'm called up here. Licensed legal grower uh, for medical cannabis. Uh, I've been gardening for easily a dozen years, but I've only been growing cannabis now since well legalization came back in October of 2018. Uh, otherwise, started out growing synthetics, as I think most growers do. And evolved into organics, as I see a lot of growers are starting to do now. Uh, definitely becoming a more popular way to grow. Uh, other than that, I run a YouTube channel called Photosyntech. Uh, talk about organics a lot, gardening, and, you know, just generally there to help people, you know, learn how to grow and you know, do the best cannabis they can. Nice. So I'm going to pick your brain specifically about uh, the organic side of things. I know you got some good knowledge in that. Um, let's start with pot size. Uh, so what size grow pots do you use when growing organically? Well, ideally the biggest that you possibly can, uh, especially if you're going to introduce worms into the system. Right now in my space, I'm using some 15-gallon pots, and that's about the smallest that you'd want to go. Uh, realistically, 30 would be better. But I will be moving into some 80-gallon grassroot fabric pots here uh, over the next couple of weeks. And that's really going to allow me to have a, a much better system. I mean, you want to think about it like a fish tank, where if you have a very small fish tank, any changes in that system are going to greatly affect how things work. So the bigger the system that you have, the easier it is to sustain it and maintain it. And big changes may have less of an effect overall. That's a really good point. I've um, I started out in bottle nutrients as well, and then kind of switched to organics. I've been mostly doing the blends, um, but I did try them out in three gallon containers, five gallon containers, and you know, oftentimes it's it's kind of a struggle 
and I like the way you put that with the with the fish tank. So, um, what type of grow pot do you use? Do you use um, plastic? Do you use plastic at all, or just the the fabric pots that you mentioned? Been playing around with a couple different things, trying to find stuff that works the best. Uh, right now, and again, going back on the grassroots stuff, uh, something that I've recently tried is the uh, transplantinators. Uh, I don't know if you're aware. It's a fabric pot, but it actually has Velcro on the sides, so you can split the thing open to take your plants out. But, uh, you know, I, it depends. I, I'll take clones. I'll put them in just little tiny plastic jars because I'm not – or I should say plastic containers, because I'm not planning on keeping them in there for a long time. If I know that I'm going to transplant out, um, I do prefer plastic because, well, any fabric pot, as I'm sure you've found, they are a pain to pull the, the plant out of. And again, why I like these transplantinators, because they've got the Velcro sides. So excited to use those. That makes sense. I was actually at MJ BizCon um, last year. They didn't have it, but the year before, 2019, I did talk to the guys at Grassroots, and one of the things that they had pointed out that was pretty interesting is now instead of just doing straight up fabric, they're adding in that liner yeah. on the inside. Because uh, one thing they had mentioned is that you know when you're running living soil with the regular fabric pots, it's drying out from all the sides. And he says that's really not natural. So um, there is still aeration down below. It's still just fabric down below. And then I think on the very top, there's um, also some air in there. Uh, you got a visitor. That would be cheddar. <laughs> Um, but i thought that was pretty interesting um so i'm actually using the plastic pots now but i I wouldn't um i do actually have a two foot by ten foot bed for outdoors okay uh, and it does have the liner it's for my vegetables right right um, which works pretty good but yeah i thought that was that was pretty interesting when he had mentioned that yeah so just to touch back on that i've even seen and talked to some of my viewers who will take and wrap plastic wrap around a fabric pot to act just like that liner and tell me that they get great success with it oh that's a good hack that's a really good hack yeah i haven't tried it myself but as soon as i get the opportunity if i need to but because i'm moving all over the fabric uh, beds anyway we'll see Hmm, makes sense Uh, so what do you use for uh, medium i've been playing around um mostly living soil here for at least about the last six months uh a mix that i've originally sort of tried to make myself and uh, i recently did a video on that calling that sort of my biggest failing as an organic grower was thinking that i was a soil scientist and knew how to go about making this stuff myself and for the most part it's not too difficult to mix up a soil there's lots of recipes out there and you know as an organic grower and most organic cannabis growers um i think what turned me on was mr connect's grow his cocoa coir, his dry amendments, making it look easy. Boy, is that a rabbit hole you can go down. But to that point, um, I, I do mainly a cocoa base now, and it's based heavily off of the build-a-soil mix. And when I say heavily, both the only thing that I'm doing different than their recipe is I'm adding in some biochar uh, for many, many beneficial qualities. Got it. Okay. And um, correct me if I'm wrong, they have three different mixes on their website. Yours is the... 30, 33, 33, 33, right? So one part, one part. And it's cocoa, so 33% cocoa coir, 33% aeration, and then 33% compost. Is that right? Yeah, you bet. Now, just to point on that, um, they've got another mix on there. It's, uh, I believe it's, uh, what is it? Five parts compost, two parts aeration, one part, uh, no, sorry, five parts cocoa, 
two parts. Anyway, you'd have to go on. It's recipe number two. I can't remember. But the, the takeaway there is I'm using the one that's heavy compost, the 33, 33, 33, because I have excellent quality compost, uh, sea soil stuff. I, I get it up here. I don't know if you guys can get it down there, but it's excellent, excellent quality. So that's the takeaway there is if you can get the really good, good high quality, uh, I think booze blend is what I've heard recommended down there. Um, then maybe look at that 33, 33, 33 mix. Uh, I've had wicked results with it. Super, super pleased. And that's what I'm going to be filling my, uh, my beds with when I, when I get those kicked off here in the next couple of weeks. Got it. And then, so the, the last 33% is going to be aeration. Um, you can use a bunch of different things for aeration. What do you use for aeration? Yeah, I've been playing around. Um, I've, Landed on a mix of hydroton, clay pebbles, and rice hulls. Uh, the nice thing about the rice hulls is they break down over time and help give you a little extra silica into your medium. And silica, as I'm sure you know, uh, will help your plants grow bigger, stronger cellular walls, protect against pests. It's just a very beneficial micronutrient to have into the, the mix. Nice. Yeah. So what else do you amend into the medium to begin with on top of that 33-33-33? Well, following, of course, that build-a-soil mix, um, that's the thing I like about it is their, their recipe number one. It's a really simple, simple mix. You've got your NPK uh, parts. It's uh, neem or karanja. Now, just to get into that for a minute, neem is uh, something that's broken down from the neem tree and karanja very similar. And if you can't get karanja and you can only get neem or vice versa, they can be used pretty much interchangeably. Uh, they look very similar and they have very similar properties and also very, very good at protecting against pests. Uh, the other uh, NPK ingredients that go in there is kelp meal, uh, high in potassium, tons of micronutrients as well. And, you know, just well, kelp, of course, fastest growing plant on the planet. So why not use kelp? And then the other one that goes in there is going to be some crab meal. You've got your chitin. You've got uh, other beneficial parts to it as well. And then there's going to be the mineral side of things. Uh, basalt rock dust, which I'm actually playing with a little bit. Um, up here, Gaia Green has a rock dust blend that I'm looking at trying to change in because it's got some glacial rock dust, some basalt rock dust, as, as well as a few other sources. And I think one of the things I really try to focus on when doing organic growing is as many diverse sources as possible just to get that mix as, as well, again, diverse because having a large variety of inputs really makes sure that the plant's going to get what it needs. And then the last thing, of course, that I put in there is oyster shell flour, uh, which helps with uh, your calcium. And I believe uh, the OSF also does a little bit of buffering of pH, as well as the uh, microbes in the soil. So I don't have to worry about doing things like pHing my water. Hmm. Okay. I know you also add worms uh, to your medium. Which type do you use? Right now, I've just got the uh, the red wigglers. I would like to get the night crawlers. And the difference there is the red wigglers, they sit up top. They're a compost worm. So they're doing all that work up in the, the rhizosphere, up in the top part of the soil. But the night crawlers, they're going to go down deeper and, and till that lower part of the soil. So having a good mixture, again, of both, that diversity is going to give you the best results. So in a previous convo, you actually introduced me to Avocado Tech. Um, can you explain to the listeners what that is and how you incorporate that into your garden? So definitely have to give a shout out to uh, to, to Blue, uh, at Blue of Green Tank on Instagram, at Blue underscore of underscore Green Tank there. Uh, 
he came up with this. It's based off the idea of fruit drop theory. Uh, as a fruit tree grows up or a berry bush, it's going to grow some fruit and eventually drop it with the idea or the hope that an animal is going to pick it up or perhaps it's just going to decompose there in the ground. So you've got this wonderful piece of fruit that's full of all these nutrients and it's decomposing, going back in and feeding that soil. And of course, as an organic grower, that's what we do. We feed the soil to feed the plant. So the idea with avocado tech is to do just that. Take an avocado, superfood, super nutrient rich to begin with, and you mix in some stuff like, say, malted barley flour, because the worms, they really like the malted barley flour, or some uh, oyster shell flour. Uh, worms need a little bit of grit. So some sand, if you don't have it in your mix, uh, some OSF is nice in there. Give them that little bit of grit to help digest things. But basically, you just take this, mix it all up like you would, you know, a deviled egg, put it back into that avocado shell and then put it top down onto the soil. And what's going to happen is the worms in your soil are going to come up and they're going to just start feeding on this stuff and returning those nutrients into a bioavailable form so your plant can uptake it. And then the best thing about this, the best thing about this is it's it's so low maintenance because you only have to do it three times a grow. And this is how blue sells it is it's just you've got a half an avocado for veg, a half an avocado at the beginning of flower or a week or two before flower starts and then another half an avocado about halfway through. And the only thing that you're really changing there is once you get into flour, you're going to add in a little extra phosphorus. I like to use mineralized phosphate, bat guano if you're unfamiliar, but I'm looking around, seeing what other more sustainable sources I can find out there. And, and that's sort of the challenge too, is always to see what better practices I as an organic grower can take from industry and you know, bring into my grow room in a more sustainable fashion. Got it. Yeah, I saw a video on it actually after you mentioned it, and that was uh, Blue talking about it, and it showed him flipping over that uh, avocado shell, and there was just loaded with yeah. worms. Yeah, loaded. It was it was pretty cool to see. Yeah, no, I had a buddy stop by the grow room today to just uh, pick up a clone, and he'd never seen it myself or himself. And same thing, you pull up the avocado, and there's just swarming of worms. It just it's a testament to how well it works. And the takeaway there too is it doesn't have to necessarily be avocado. Uh, I know that Blues tried uh, cantaloupes and some other you know smaller domed fruit. So the idea is it's it's a humidity dome. It's completely dark, perfect environment for worms. Uh, the only takeaway is if you are going to try avocado tech, and I strongly recommend this, uh, is get some bokashi grains and put a little bokashi mix in there because I've seen uh, some avocados start to go anaerobic. So if you've got some bokashi grains in there, bokashi being an anaerobic uh, compost microorganism, it's going to help break down that that nutrient internal and you know provide uh, just a safer way to get things done. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay, so I want to flip back to, to water. You briefly talked about water. Um, what type of water do you use? Do you use reverse osmosis, distilled, well, tap water? I've used a variety, actually. Uh, so up until recently, my main source of water in the groom has been just tap water. Good old dechlorinated tap water, except in the summer uh, where I've got rain barrels sitting on the side of my house uh, because why pay for water when you can get it for free? But recently I did install an RO watering system, um, or I should say RO filter uh, for watering. I use RO water all the time for my humidifiers because where I live I have very heavy water. And if you 
if you see all of a sudden, say you're you know starting off growing and you put a humidifier in your, your space and you're seeing like a white filmy powder everywhere, it's not powdery mildew per se. It's likely uh, minerals that have come out of your humidifier and deposited onto the surfaces. So that's why I use RO water. It's demineralized water in my humidifiers. But since getting an RO water filter installed in my house, I've actually changed over to that to start watering all my plants because the big thing for me is my groom's actually outside in my garage, which is you know, a good 15 feet from the house and I don't have water out there. So I normally fill up five, five gallon buckets, bring them out there, let the water dechlorinate. And then I'll use that to water my plants over the course of a couple of weeks. So having the ability to just fill up a five gallon container with our water works really, really well. It makes sense. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned the, um, the white powdery substance coming from the humidifier and, you know, the root cause of that is tap water with the minerals in it and so on and so forth. Um, Two other things that that impacts is the carbon filter. It actually clogs those carbon filter yeah, socks. Yeah, good point. You know, I've had so many people say, uh, reach out to me like, I'm getting no suction coming out. What's going on? And then, you know, the root cause was because they were using tap water in their humidifier and it was just clogging that up like pretty quickly. And then I had another uh, person reach out to me and mention that he saw a buildup on his fan. So it was like it went internal components, actually got into his fan. And it's all white substance within his fan. It did damage on that one. So, yeah, um, yeah definitely whenever you're using a humidifier, definitely want to have filtered water or ideally reverse osmosis water or distilled water. For sure. And, you know, one other thing to think about, and this is just me thinking out loud, is I'm wondering if you get buildup on the leaves of the plants and it affects the stomata and their ability to intake actual moisture and whatnot. So... Mm, curious so yeah if you're using humidifier definitely RO water mm. and you said you don't ph adjust your water i don't know what the ph is in my water when i grow um i haven't okay. measured it in a long long time i i shouldn't say that i i do occasionally measure my tap water if i'm or when i was doing tap water just to make sure that things were staying on point but because i you know sit around 7.4 to 7.8 I don't worry about pHing. I let the, the the pardon me. I let the medium do that for me because the microbiology will take and along with the nutrients that I put in there help buffer that pH to the range that it needs to be. And you know, I've even recently learned that the plant within an area close to the roots has the ability to affect the pH around it to also help make that a more hospitable zone for the microbiology. But the key takeaway there is know what it is. Like, don't just think you can't not pH. You have to know what it is. Um, I've got a whole video that I talk about this on my channel too. Yeah, I agree. I've had uh, one point my the water coming out of my tap was over eight, eight point zero pH, and uh, dechlorinated it and then gave my plants and didn't get a good result. Um, you know, measuring that runoff uh, pH, it was high, and I was seeing deficiencies within my plants. So. I personally do pH my pH adjust my water to make sure it's within you know if I'm growing in soil between six and seven pH. Um, that's just what's worked best for me. So. And that's the thing, like it's it works well for me. I don't have to, but I mean, let me put it to you this way: if I start to see deficiency or some sort of toxicity, the first thing I'm going to do is check runoff and see if that I've got something odd going on and that should be the takeaway. I don't pH because I don't have to, but I know that it's an absolute top tool in the arsenal if i need to use it makes sense that makes yeah, sense yeah. cool okay so we know what your pot size is uh we know what your mix is you've amended that mix up um you know you've got your plants going uh, when do you give your first feeding 
And how do you and how do you feed? Well, it depends. Like right now, I've been working on trying to do a perpetual, so get to the point where I would just ideally be pulling veg plants out of my tent that I have here behind me and putting those into the flower room. Um, so I'd be more reamending the medium, ideally at the point of planting or very close to it. But because I've been changing beds out and, and working through this whole new system, um, I, I don't have a very consistent approach to it at this time. However, that being said, the idea is if you're doing something like avocado tech, you're doing one of the avocados throughout veg and a couple of weeks before you're getting into going flower, you want to go again. Looks like you got a cat running around there or something. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, to that point, the, the thing that you need to remember is if you're doing organic growing, your, your nutrients aren't immediately available. So you have to plan it out. And I think that's, that's the main thing is, if you know you're going into flower or you're planning to go into flower in two weeks time, get your, your extra phosphorus, your extra potassium boost in now, because that's when it's going to need it, get it ready to be bioavailable for when the plant starts to take it up. So, so that's the thing is organics really involve a whole lot of planning. Uh, it sounds like it's not a lot of work because, well, I don't pH and I only have to add water and that's all I do. It's, but it isn't. There's there's so much planning involved to to be successful in that grow to be able to sit back and just water. Yep, I agree. Uh, let's talk a little bit about cover crops. Um, so which cover crops do you use and when do you plant them? Uh, so the best time to do cover crops is when you're first starting off your living soil mix a week or two before your plants going in to give them some time to get built up and start getting some of that nitrogen into the soil. Um, the way that I've been doing things, it's just lately, I, because I, if, if, uh, well, let me, let me back this up a bit. If people haven't seen my channel, I recently ran into an issue where my grow seeded. So I've been trying to recover by bringing in and doing a whole bunch of, uh, yeah, well, fast methods to get things turned around. So right now I'm just doing cover crop and then I get the plant in there kind of at the same time. But the idea is, yeah, cover crop a couple weeks ahead. Now, cover crop that I use, you can go as simple as, say, red clover, white clover, something along those lines. But going back to the diversity thing, I use a five seed mix. I get from Black Swallow Living Soils up here in Canada. Uh, it's got fenugreek, uh, clover, uh, a couple of, I can't remember off the top of my head, but it's, again, it's, it's got multiple things in it to provide a higher level of diversity. Nice. Yeah. I'm just using the white Dutch clover right now, yep. but, um, yeah, I've seen the, um, the blends that they have with uh, a couple different ones. Uh, think about trying those out in the future. Yeah. I'm actually thinking of maybe throwing some peas in the grower once I get these, uh, grassroots fabric pots mm. going, just cause they got the trellis going up the side and yeah. peas are excellent, excellent nitrogen fixers and delicious. And uh, mulch layer, I know you add one of those to the top of the soil. What do you use for a mulch layer and when do you apply that? Generally just straw. Uh, and right away, as soon as you get that, that plant transplanted, uh, you want to get the mulch layer down. And if you're doing cover crop, don't worry about putting the mulch over top the cover crop. The cover crop will grow up and through. Uh, I've been working on as well a, a mix of different uh mulches where i've got some cedar wood chips and people are going to go you can't do cedar yeah you can um hit me up on my my channel we'll talk to you about it uh as well as some what is it a uh, pine and uh again just straw the idea there is getting some wood in there because wood is going to bring in that fungal component and 
again, with diversity, not only do you want good bacterial components in your soil, you want lots of fungal components because funguses will help break down and, and move things around a lot better. And then, of course, when we talk about things like mycorrhiza, uh, the, the most beneficial fungus you can have in the garden, well, it's good to have a lot of different sources. Yeah, that yeah. makes sense. Uh, so you told us when that first feeding happens, although, you know, it's kind of a gray area, it depends on a lot of things. Um, you know, what about the second feeding, like something within flowering? Uh, t- typically people will do, they'll amend the medium to begin with. Then before flipping the flower, they'll do some sort of top dressing, um, you know, with some um, flower type nutrients. And then like 30 days into flowering along those lines, week three, four, five of flowering, something like that, they will do a another type of top feeding. Do you do anything like that? Absolutely, yeah. Week week three is when I prefer to hit them um, because I'll go and do my my initial flower feed a couple weeks ahead, and then once I get into week three, I, I like to do that feed because again, I got to give that couple weeks for it to become bioavailable and ready for the plants. And you know that that was a bit of a learning thing too because going from synthetics to organics, it was just okay. Well, I'm going to change up my feed week five. I'm going to use this set of bottles, and you know you have to be prepared for that but then also bringing in things like sugars to help increase microbes and well boost the ripeness i mean there's lots of different organic ripeness boosters out there too that you can use so what so what exactly like for that second feeding is there anything in particular that you um give to the plant at that time oh yeah we touched on that before it's uh like i'll do the pk boost with same stuff phosphorus and stuff and then like kelp for getting your potassium and whatnot so okay and then um so you do incorporate sugars into your garden absolutely so i i actually sugars once a week um and i'll mix it up too i like to use uh, molasses blackstrap molasses and then I've got some uh, coconut nectar sugar, which I picked up by accident from the Costco, thinking it was a different type of coconut product. But actually, I find that I really like this stuff. It's a light sugar that dissolves really well in water. And I'll alternate. Each week, I'll do uh, one tablespoon of sugar or molasses into the water uh, per gallon. Mix that up and feed that. And that helps boost up that microbiology because one of the things that I don't do is compost teas. Now, the reason for that... Um, if you're familiar with the future cannabis project earlier this summer, they had a really great episode on talking about bro science and uh, Linda Chalker Scott. I hope I got her name right. Uh, fantastic scientist. She doesn't work with cannabis. She just works with gardening, but she came on, she talked a great deal about compost tea and why it's not really necessary to use compost tea because you can get the same level of, benefit from it by just top dressing with compost and that's something that i've been doing a lot of lately is i'll just top dress with the compost some earthworm casting some bokashi in the mix and then just water in with my molasses water which is effectively the same thing as doing a compost tea with the exception of i'm not letting it brew overnight and letting that that microbiology bloom in a big pot of water but i'm letting it bloom in a big pot of soil so the idea is all of that compost tea action is happening but it's already in the pot in a more concentrated form and i'll say that i've been getting amazing results with this method got it so you don't really do compost teas do you do any like nutrient teas plant teas manure teas anything like that absolutely you know i've never heard of manure tea (laughs) yeah that's i could see how that might be beneficial um no i do seeds for teas uh once a week uh depending on where i'm in the cycle vegetative i'll do 
pardon me, corn, barley, and alfalfa. And then in flour, I'll do corn, barley, and mung beans. Um, each one has its own benefits. I've got a whole video up on my channel that talks in depth about it. But the short of it is uh, it's part of the routine. Uh, corn takes several days to sprout. Barley doesn't take quite as long, and alfalfa and mung beans take even less. So on Friday night, for example, I'll take some corn seeds, I'll put them in some water, and I'll let those soak for a day. The next day, dump those out, add some barley into another jar, let those soak. And over the next you know four or five days, I'm getting these seeds to the point where they've sprouted, and then I take and cannibalize them by hitting them with the blender, add those into some water to dilute it, and then water from there. And... Um, Biggest takeaway there is you want to talk about overnight growth, uh, especially with alfalfa. Alfalfa has a, a chemical in it called tricontinol, which is a growth booster. So if if you want to see immediate growth, um, you know, like steroid-like growth with your plants, just try an alfalfa sprouted tea just once. Um, the way to mix them is quite simple. You're generally going a half a cup of seeds per five gallons. And then if you're using alfalfa, do a quarter cup because it's, 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 it'll come in really hot. And then, yeah, just, just blend that up and, and mix the juice in there. I'll strain it through like a nylon bag too, just so I'm not putting all the seed stuff into the water itself. But then those seeds that I've ground up and put into the nylon bag, I'll take an old pot dress into my pots as well as a little extra creep for the worms. Yeah. Um, so you talked a little bit about uh, Gaia Green, how you use those organic blends. So um, I'm sure there's people that are watching here that are brand new to my channel. Maybe this is the first video you've ever seen of me. Um, so a little bit uh, background on me is I've been growing for uh, almost 11 years now. And most of the time I've been using those bottled nutrients, right, synthetics, but I've slowly worked my way, slowly weaned my way off the bottles. Um, and I started <laughs> with uh, organic blends. Um, so I started with Earth Dust by the Green Sunshine Company. And uh, instructions are pretty pretty straightforward. Uh, they have a, a formula for base and they have a formula for boost. The base is um, what you use when you first amend into and during veg and then you use boost for flowering. Um, so that's what I would typically do. I forget what it was. I think it's like two to four tablespoons per gallon or something like that for the base and then the boost. Um, had some pretty good results doing that. There's so many different organic blends out there. Oh, um, yeah. You've got Dr. Earth, Down to Earth, Mr. B's, Trees. Um, there is a new one that I tried out with Slow Dirt. Um, Build the Soil has their own craft blend. Um, that they call it. Uh, you've used Gaia Green. Have you used any others besides oh, Gaia uh, Green? Or Gaia Green and then just the stuff from Black Swallow. We're, we're, I don't know if it's limited up here, but I've got two good sources, and, and that's who I rely on and whatnot. Um, I've heard down-to-earth stuff down in the States is also really good to work with. Um, so it's, it's really just looking at where the amendment's coming from. How are they sourcing it? Like, one of the thing about blends, and this is why I've decided to mix it myself, is, pardon me, blends tend to use a lot of things like bone meal, blood meal, and you have to think about where did those come from organically. You know, it's it's waste byproduct from the the food industry, and now it's good that there's a use for that, but does that necessarily mean you want to be using that to grow your your plants with? And it, if it works for you, it works for you. Um, you know, like 
just side note to uh, talk about uh, blood meal for a minute. Um, if you've got a nitrogen deficiency in your plants, make up a quick tea using just a little bit of blood meal and water that into your plants. It's just like a synthetic nutrient at that point because you're making it bioavailable because it is a dried blood that's basically turned into a ground nutrient. So those those nutrients may have their place. But uh, yeah, no, um, it's just it's about finding stuff and local too. Like the local stuff that you can get is way better. Um, you know, don't buy and ship nutrients across the country if you don't have to. Uh, rice hulls, for example, I need to go and get more rice hulls for my growth. So I'm going to go to the local brewery and get them there. I can get 50 pounds for 50 bucks. You know, wow. that's the thing about organic nutrients. They should be relatively inexpensive. Uh, a 50 pound bag of oyster shell flour is going to cost me, I think, $75. Hmm. And that's going to feed my two 80-gallon beds for the foreseeable future. So organics, you know, should be fairly inexpensive to do in that regard. So what other advice do you have for growers who are maybe switching from, you know, synthetics over to the organic side of things? Learn about inoculation. That's that's a really important thing because – I've said this a couple times um, throughout our chat here is those nutrients take some time to become available. And that process is made uh, faster, is increased by inoculating your medium. Uh, you can inoculate your medium through a, a bacteria that comes in a powder form uh, or by doing a compost. Again, I, I just talked about compost teas and, and it can be just that simple. And the way that I, I kickstart my medium, I just did transplanting last night, was just to, again, compost on top, a little bokashi in the mix, little earthworm castings and just water in, you know, and, and that's that's going to be the best way to do it. But if, if you understand how inoculation works in that you need to get something living in that medium to start eating these nutrients and providing them in a, a more ionic form to your plants, then you're going to be sort of off to the races. And then it's just planning, 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 thinking about what you want to do. But don't try and be a soil scientist. Find a recipe, stick to that recipe, and, and then start experimenting because then I think you're going to find a much better level of success. That's really good advice. That's one thing we didn't talk about is microbial inoculants. Do you use any products, microbial inoculants or recharge, uh, mammoth pee, anything like that? Not so much. Um, I've been thinking about getting into the recharge just because I hear so many good things about it. And I'm a huge fan of the Dude Grows uh, podcast. I like watching those guys. But uh, no, I, I rely mostly on just the compost. And this compost that I get, the sea soil, seems to really do the trick. But then to that point, if I could get another source of compost, it wouldn't be a bad idea either. And using some vermicompost, I've, I've started up a worm bin a couple months ago, so I've got fresh worm castings. And just adding in as many different sources as, as you can. Well, Matt, thank you so much for coming onto my channel tonight and uh, you know letting people know how you do your grow. I think there's a lot of good information for my audience. Most of my audience is beginners kind of shifting over from the bottled side of things to the organic side of things. And you provide a lot of really good, useful information for them. So thank you for coming on here. Oh, Chris, absolutely happy to come and chat. And, you know, stop by my channel if uh, you want to come and see a conversation that uh, Chris and I had about a week ago where we got to learn about Chris and his grow style. Uh, otherwise, yeah, uh, you know, stop on by and, and say hi. I'd love to have you over there. And again, Chris, thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to come and speak with your viewers like this. No problem. I will link Matt's channel down in the description section below, along with a couple of videos that we kind of talked about. Right? We talked about the avocado tech, and uh, there might be something else that I'll link down in there 
that goes to your channel for the viewers to watch. Cool. All right. Thanks again, Matt. Have a good one. You too, sir. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Garden Talk. Thanks so much for tuning into it. Please leave a rating and review if you haven't done so already. It helps the podcast out tremendously, so thank you for that. And I will leave it at that. Until next time, peace.